we're going to transition this morning, uh, without further ado, into our message series that we've been hanging out in in the past couple weeks called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the subtitle of this series um, is, is this, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And this series is based on a book that me and a few other guys read in this season uh, with the same title, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And we've been making, um, kind of setting a foundation uh, for this morning. So I just want to kind of get us up to speed of where we've kind of been, is, is where we are and the assumptions that we're making in this series is this idea that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable ideas. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Because I think the inclination for us as human beings, and many times for church people that are just wanting to do a good job, we see needs in the world and we want to do, 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 do. But how many of you guys know there's a list up here that a lot of different spiritual things that we do at church, more Bible study, more small groups, more prayer, more spiritual warfare, more worship, more justice, more gifts of the spirit and prophecy, more grace, more, 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 more. These are all do things that we want to do, but none of these do type of things cure the idea that if we're emotionally fragile or destroyed, people, all of these things will not matter. Knowing more about the Bible while you're an emotional mess will not help you in the cause of Jesus in terms of what he wants to accomplish in this world. But many times our emotional health doesn't even belong at the forefront of what it means for God to heal and redeem our lives and help us to be growing and mature people of God. And we've been basing it off an assumption that from the early pages of the Bible reminds us, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, tells us that we were created in God's image. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we've been unpacking, what is this God image that we've been created in? And many times it has to do with our self-awareness of that very image. Are we familiar with the very being that we've been created by in God's image? And that includes an emotional capacity. That includes emotional health. That includes a self-awareness we're needing to zoom in on in terms of what it means to be a human being and how do we grow more and more into spiritually mature people. So the title this morning and where we're going to be going, the title is this, uh, if you're taking notes, All the Feels. Come on, All the Feels. We're going to be welcoming all the feels this morning, right? All those feelings. Because I just believe this morning that God wants to remind us about emotions. You know, God created human beings to experience a wide variety of emotions. And I found this really helpful as I was kind of studying and looking into the message for this week. Uh, researchers have created eight different main categories of emotions that I felt found to just be really, really helpful for us just to kind of look at this morning as we begin talking about being emotionally healthy people. Here's the eight categories researchers have created. And uh, for each and every one of us, we're going to relate to these because we're all human beings. Um, and here it is, right? The first one being this, anger which includes fury, hostility, irritability, annoyance. Anybody ever get annoyed in the house? Come on, somebody. Sadness, including grief, self-pity, despair, dejection, loneliness, fear, which includes anxiety, edginess, nervousness, fright, terror, apprehension, enjoyment, including joy, relief, contentment, delight, thrill, euphoria, ecstasy, love, which includes acceptance, trust, devotion, and adoration, Surprise, shock, amazement, and wonder, disgust, contempt, scorn, aversion, distaste, revulsion, 
shame, which includes guilt, remorse, humiliation, embarrassment, and chagrin. I love what Pete Scazzaro, I share a lot of Pete Scazzaro quotes because it's just so good. I, I'd share, man, I encourage you to read the book to just take a deeper dive, but I try to just really just limit down to some of the quotes that he shares within this book for, that would be really beneficial for us on a Sunday morning. And the quote that I, I pulled for this week would, would be this. He says, when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. See, what it means to be a human being involves this emotional capacity. And I love the way, I felt that, found that to be really helpful, these eight main categories that have been created to describe um, this emotional capacity. But I, I want to share this, and this will be up on the screen, is, is that I believe this, and this is where we're going this morning to find freedom, is that emotionally healthy spirituality begins with committing to allow yourself to feel all the feels. See, sometimes we don't even allow ourselves to have permission to feel the feels because we've been trained or we've been discipled in church or we've been trained in church to ignore our feelings, to push through, quote unquote, right? To buck up, to sacrifice like Jesus has. But what would it look like for us to submit under the fact that you and I as broken human beings have an emotional capacity that was created in God's image that God wants to pay attention to and help redeem and restore? And let's build a theology because here's what I know. The emotional health topic in churches many times has a lot of pushback. But let's just call it out and build a theology of how it is. The God that we worship, the Christian God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Spirit, gives us a clue into what kind of being he is in many times what is described in the scriptures and in the Bible as emotional language. You see, scripture reveals many times that God is an emotional being who feels, in fact, God is a person. Three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And many times that is expressed, and we're going to look at several scriptures this morning. Let's think about this. From the very get-go in the first Book of the Bible, the creation narrative. God, what did he do? He saw that it was good, very good. In other words, God delighted, relished, and beamed with delight over us. His creation. He cares for you. He loves for you. He affirms you. There's nothing wrong with you. He sees you. The way that you were created in his image is a flawless accomplishment for God to display as his very people. The biblical narrative goes on to clue us into other emotions. The Lord, what about this one? Regretted. The Lord shows regret that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Highly emotional language, right? I, the Lord your God, Exodus 25, am a jealous God. That's, I don't know about you, that's Pretty emotional language when God talks about being jealous. Are we erasing this from our Bibles? Are we acknowledging that this is the capacity described as who God is? Isaiah 42, 14, as we continue, it says, For a long time I have kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, get this one, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. Such descriptive language describing the emotions of God. 
Jeremiah chapter 30, the fierce anger of the Lord, whoa, will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his hearts. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with kindness. Wow. The emotion. Hosea 11, 8, how can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. God is compassionate. Matthew 26, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. Mark chapter 3, he looked around to them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And lastly, as an example, in Luke chapter 10, when it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Part of the likeness of God is to feel. Let me, let me say that again. Part of the likeness of God, and as human beings created in his likeness, is to feel. So let's frame this in the context of the mission of the church. We often talk about this. Is why does the church exist? Is this just like kind of like this country club Sunday thing we come to, and it's just like this two-hour thing, like a part of our lives? It can be. It really can be, but, but I just truly believe that the, the vision Jesus had for his church is bigger than a couple hours every week as a, just kind of like this compartment over here that's good for our life. So we constantly are talking about what's the point of the church? Like, why are we here? What army is God building? And, and so for us, we've, we've created a, a definition for disciples because we believe and are committed to the mission that God, before he left Jesus, he, he called us to be disciple makers. So we've created a definition of what it means to be a disciple. If we're creating disciples and making disciples, right, what does it mean for us to be a disciple that can make other disciples? So we, we found a definition and created a definition out of Matthew 4.19, and this is our definition. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So let's, let's talk about emotional health for a second in the context of God's mission for his church. Meaning this is that discipleship must include then experiencing our feelings reflecting on our feelings, and then thoughtfully responding to our feelings under the lordship of Jesus. See, being a disciple of Jesus requires for us, if we want to be changed and transformed, people to acknowledge our emotions and our emotional health, because it comes under submission of the lordship of Jesus. And this is the big truth that I think is going to help be helpful for us to highlight this morning is that God chooses to speak to each and every one of us through our emotions, through our physiology, the very nature in which God has created you and I to be as emotional people and human beings. I love what Pete Scazzaro says in, the, in this book. He says, God may be screaming at us through our physical body while we look for and prefer a more spiritual signal. Anybody relate to that? I'm like, we over-spiritualize so much when one of the most spiritual things that God wants to redeem is the fact that we are emotional people created in His image. And we're like, you know what, let's throw the, God could never speak to emotion, throw emotion, wait a second, 
maybe one of the primary ways that God has chosen to reveal himself is through the fact that emotions are this thing that we carry in the capacity of us being human beings each and every day. Let's talk about extreme emotions, such as two that will be up on the screen, right? Screen. Intense emotions, anger or sadness, right? See, those, those words many times for us are trigger words where we're saying, you know what, like, I shouldn't ever be angry. You know, I should never be sad. We've created a theology around these very emotions being bad. So rather than acknowledging them, rather than going deeper and understanding where these came from, many times we're just like, let's just shut it out. Let's cut it out because that's the spiritual thing to do. Anger or sadness, my mission for this many times and how we live life is how do I shut this off? Like it's a light switch. Like how do I just cut the reality of this out of my life and be less human. I mean, you guys know that's not how God works. He chooses to redeem exactly who you are right now. You can pretend, but here's what, I, here's what I'll just say. There's people in the world that are sick of church people pretending. You sniff that out in five seconds with an over-spiritual language type of church person. Yeah, like, yeah, that's cool. Cliches are great, but there's this thing called life. And either God relates to us in our life and our human capacity, or he doesn't. Either God, we've created in God's image, or we're created in an image of believing in fairy tales that has nothing to do with life and spirituality coming together. But I would beg for that God, in the way he has created each and every one of us, relates to us, reveals himself to us individually and personally right where we find ourselves. Because that's the type of God that I believe we worship and the God represented in his scriptures. Man, I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He goes, the problem is that when we neglect our most intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and close off an open door through which to know God. Wow. That's fascinating. When we try to cut something out, I'm like, eh, let's just like pretend and just don't act like God could reveal himself through my humanity. And we're missing out a huge part of the capacity that he's created us in his image. So this morning, you'll be up on the screens. I believe this. We need to know ourselves, all the feels, all the feels. I don't know about you, like I watch This Is Us sometimes, and that's a show where I experience all the feels. It's one of those shows I'm like, man, it gets me. It encourages emotional emotions within me it changes me by just a narrative and a story see god wants us to know ourselves in all the fields so that we might know him so that we might have a clearer picture of god's capacity so that we wouldn't be blind to an aspect or the beauty of god's character which we're saying well i just don't think that it's spiritual according to me and we shut out this beauty of God and how he wants to reveal himself to us through the way that he's created each and every one of us. And I'll say this. Here's the truth. Come on. We don't blindly follow our feelings. That is not what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Because some of you will be like, what? You're saying you just follow your feelings and feelings become God? Let me just be clear for one second before a soundbite gets out there and I'm misquoted and then called a false prophet, right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. We do do understand that our emotions is a part of how God communicates with us. 
It is. Let us acknowledge it. Let us find and chart a course forward by acknowledging this. Because here's the deal. When we don't know ourselves, whether we like it or not, we begin to wear a mask. And you're like, yeah, I'm wearing a mask for other people. No. We begin to wear a mask for God. We begin to wear a mask for ourselves. And yeah, we do. We begin to wear a mask for other people. But how many of you guys know we can't hide what God already sees in each and every one of us? Pete Scazzaro, once again, another great quote. He says, allow yourself to experience the full weight of your feelings. Allow them without censoring them. Then you can reflect and thoughtfully decide what to do with them. I love that. Before we can do that, we've got to acknowledge and allow maybe some of those intense emotions that we want to pretend that aren't present in our lives. Trust God to come to you through them. This is the first step in the hard work of discipleship. I love this. You know, I think it's pretty profound, too, because it's like, let's look at the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus, fully God, fully man, at the centerpiece of the Christian faith. We're talking about Christmas and the, the birth story and the narrative. Well, we know that Christmas isn't the end, and there's such a profound deal of hope around the story of Christmas. But if we fast forward a little bit in the seasonal calendar, we understand that Jesus grows up and he starts a ministry on the earth, which we have four beautiful accounts and records of people observing the life of Jesus that tells us and shows us that before he started his ministry, there were affirmations that were spoken over him by his father, God the Father. Matthew 3, verse 17 See, Jesus is baptized, and we can so skim over what is such an important declaration that God speaks over Jesus himself. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus, you are lovable. You are good. It is good you exist. Sometimes reminders that we need to help remind ourselves of. But as we know that Jesus goes on and he's tempted in the desert by the enemy of our souls. Evil personified in a being. And, and these types of temptations as humans dealing with the fact that each and every one of us are broken human beings, we, we, we are tempted to fight each and every day when it comes to our image and, and, and who we actually are. So we're going to look at those three temptations, and the first one is this. Temptation number one when it comes to us and who we are is, I am what I do. It's about performance. This is a challenging one, especially for us men in the room. When I meet a man for the first time, you know what I'm tempted to many times do as a conversation starter? Tell me what you do. See, in our culture, we've created a priority around our identity is matched up with what we do. And you know, just as a personal thing that I feel like the, the Lord's trying to get a hold of me because I do this all the time, is changing the posture of how I get to know somebody from the get-go out of, not out of what something somebody does where they're found their worth, but 
Tell me about yourself. What makes you you? Tell me about yourself. Now, sometimes the conversation goes in a direction about work and the things that we do. But what would it look like for us to be counterculture, even sometimes in the posture of how we reference somebody, to not always reference and prioritize someone based on what they do? That they have worth outside of their vocational performance. Because many times we are so concerned about what contribution have I made to the world? And I'm defective if I haven't. But here's, here's where God wants to just find us this morning in his grace. It's not about what you do. If you feel like you haven't made a contribution to the world this morning, or if you've lost your way and I don't have things to do, there is hope and there's good news that Jesus sees you. He affirms you. He loves you. But we're going to fight this temptation our whole life in terms of who we are. Temptation number two is this. I am what I have. It's about my possessions. Now, this one's interesting because I think you can get into kind of like a socioeconomic battle of like, well, I don't struggle with that. Let me just say this is if you've ever been a person that's like, man, I just compared to that person, I just don't. Man, why hasn't God blessed me? There it is. Anytime you compare at a level of saying, well, God, why haven't you done this? It's born out of a place where you've compared yourself to somebody else at a certain standard and are wondering and questioning maybe God or a higher power saying, why don't I have as much as them? The only reason you're asking that question is because you've made a human comparison based on possessions and things. I must not be as important because I see that person with that car or with that house or with this or with that like, I don't so struggle with possessions. Maybe you do because you've created a standard of comparison that says, God must not love me as much because I don't have as much as they do. That is a place born out of comparison, which is based out of an imperfect idea in our lives that I am what I have. You may be a person that's like, I feel like on the socioeconomic scale, I'm the lowest of the low. But the good news of the high or the low, or wherever you fall on the socioeconomic scale, you are not what you have. Be reminded of that truth this morning, that you are loved outside of what you have. So the, I'll just say this, so the curse and, and the resentment and the ec socioeconomic divide that we see in the city, would it be broken in Jesus' name? Would the people on the lower scale stop having resentment for the people on the higher scale? And vice versa. Can we be mature grown-ups and understanding our identity doesn't come from looking at somebody and being jealous and carrying resentment outside of them? But would we be confident, emotionally healthy people that come from a place that says, that's my family member who's created in the image of God. And they have just as much as worth. And it's not about possessions. And it comes from a grassroots level. It says, I'm created in the image of God. So guess what? High class, low class, middle class, everyone matters. And we are a church that's going to say, everyone matters. And you're welcome. And if you're mad and you're carrying resentment, it's time to deal with that in your own heart. And have a love for a person that maybe has more possessions than you. Because guess what? It's not about possessions. Would that curse in Ponca City be broken in Jesus' name? Because it's present. And it's killing us. People are like, eh, I see a divide on the politically in the news. No, no, no. Look in our backyard. 
would it be broken in Jesus' name right now? And would we be the difference makers and the ambassadors to carry that forward? Would the resentment stop now? We are not what we have. That's a temptation that's going to drive us to division. And it already has. Temptation three. Last one. I am what others think. Popularity. Maybe you're a person that you struggle with this idea that you're invisible and you need to matter. Why, why are we carrying the weight of other people's opinions so highly? Why? Because it's a temptation for us to say, I'm, I'm missing something. And I need the affirmation of others. I need people to think good of me. If I'm invisible, I don't matter. But once again... The Father who loves you, who sent his Son to die a brutal death so that you could experience freedom on this earth. If you don't hear anything else this morning, church, would you hear this in your personal life as an affirmation over your own life? You are lovable. You are good. And it is good that you exist. Would our identity be rooted not in the temptations of what Satan himself was knocking on the door of Jesus before he started on his ministry, threatening him with those three temptations. And you know what he did? He overcame them all. And he set a model. He set a bar for each and every one of us to not give in to these temptations that create division and shatter the image and the vision that God has for his church and his good news going forth to transform not only our city and our community, but the world. We are a part of a mission and a vision that is bigger than ourselves. But it also starts with the obedience of us being people that say, where am I? <laughs> Who am I when I look in the mirror every day? person we have to face each and every day, more than the people that many times we want to focus on, is, is the person you're looking back at in the mirror. What are we doing with that? I love Pete Scazzaro. He makes this observation about Jesus, and this was profound. I'm still chewing on it. And I've been chewing on it since I read it. He says this. He says, Jesus was not selfless. Well, if we just stop there, once again, we could soundbite this, and I'm going to get a lot of angry emails. But let's unpack this for a second. Jesus was not selfless. He did not live as if only other people counted. What? He knew his value and worth. He had friends. He asked people to help him. But at the same time, Jesus was not selfish. He did not live as if nobody else counted. He gave his life out of love for others. From a place of loving union with his Father, Jesus had a mature, healthy, true self. Isn't that beautiful? There's a tension. Because we can so often go to the extremes of being a person that has zero boundaries trying to solve every problem. And before we know it, we are not helpful to anyone because we're exhausted and we've burned out. If you're a person that's like, do, 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 solve problem, do, 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 take care of yourself because in a short amount of time, you are going to be useless. And you're not going to be effective for the things of God. And you've allowed other people to breach boundaries in which you need to create for yourself. So here's our next steps this morning <laughs> as we acknowledge all the feels. 
in our lives and what that would look like to submit under the feet of Jesus. Number one, the first next step is this. Hopefully this is helpful to us as we go into this next week. Number one is pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude. Well, that sounds kind of Eastern, Pastor. Let me just remind us that some of our early Christian followers, some of the earliest churchgoers, some of the people that were wrestling with the fast pace of the world created communities in which silence and solitude would be a practice in which they found benefit from, in which they practice in ways to find and be still and understand God. Now, am I suggesting we swing the pendulum to that far extreme? No. I'm saying, how do we be effective people in the midst of our fast-paced lives of finding these types of moments? Are we finding any of these moments? For us just to be okay, maybe to journal a little bit of, yeah, why did I get so mad at that fast food attendant who got my order wrong, right? This is me. Let me just say, I think I told this story a couple weeks ago. Since they got my fast food order wrong, which this is where God's just redeeming me, a big big part of my emotional capacity, literally five times since then. I'm not even joking, you guys. Like, I'm not exaggerating. This isn't pastor exaggeration. The last five fast food meals I've ordered, everybody else who's ordered stuff, their order's perfect. Me, completely wrong. I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, there's, some, there's something going on here, right? But how, how often do we slow down? And just say, okay, like, why? There's anger here. And it's manifesting. And I got to acknowledge it. Or I could just brush it under the rug. Because you know what? That, that will never filter into any other area. But what would it look like for us to be very intentional? Saying, okay, just let's be okay to have all the feels and reflect. Begin to reflect on emotions. Yeah, maybe we're not so proud of that, that rise up. But what would it look like to slow down and in solitude and get with the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm actually acknowledging this. I'm not, I'm not brushing it under the rug. I'm, I'm putting it before you. I'm going to choose to be a person that's self-reflective in terms of my emotional health. Do you have the courage to allow your uncensored emotions to be before God in a way where you're actually admitting them? What would that look like for us? What would it look like for us to begin to practice that? So that's one, one next step. Number two, uh, find trusted companions. I've heard it before. You can't bleed to everybody because people will abuse that. So how do you know who you trust? Well, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some safety. My hope and my, my, my thing with our church is hopefully we're creating an atmosphere of safety where the people that you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with are people that you're going to be able to lean on when it comes to your faith and journey with. That's why we do such things as small groups. That's why we're constantly talking about disciple-making and what it would look like to get face-to-face with other human beings and help one another grow in their faith. We can't do life alone. And if we're going to be talking about going in a deep journey, we need other people to rely on. Once again, can I remind you that Jesus relied on other people? God himself in the flesh in perfect form relied on other human beings for help. It's okay to ask for help. And in fact... When we don't ask for help and it's all the world's shoulders falls on us, it's going to weigh and it's going to take a toll once again where we become ineffective for the 
very thing that God's created you to be. I love uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this about the church. He says, we're to be alone together. He also described the church as a community of solitudes. Meaning this, you got to go deep with God on your own. That's not pastor's job. That's not my job to police throughout the week, the time you spend with God, the relationship you have with Jesus. We're here as a church when we come together to celebrate Jesus, to encourage one another. But this is, once again, just a snapshot in the midst of the other 167 hours in our week. What does that look like, and what would community look like for each and every one of us? Because we are a community. Yes, it is about us finding relationship and having relationship with God, but what does it look like to be a community of solitudes? Who, yes, find the rhythms in our life to spend time with God, but when we come together, what are we doing with that? Are we just allowing it to be this little temple that nobody ever gets to encounter? Are we sharing? Are we doing life with the way that God's encouraging us in our faith? And here's what I'll say. A lot of, a lot of us in the room, we have a lot of friends outside of church, which I think is great. But I'll say this. You can't process your faith with the people that you're trying to pull and influence and witness towards Jesus. I'm, I'm not saying don't have those people. We need more of those people. Many times church people don't have those people in our lives. But if we're a person that doesn't have anyone to sharpen and help with our faith and lean on when it comes to how God's speaking and processing our faith, we will never grow. We got to grow together. We got to commit. We got to be intentional about that. So we're going to find time to really just be honest with our uncensored emotions, find silence and solitude, but we also have to find community and find trusted companions. Maybe you're like, oh, I haven't really taken small groups very serious in our church. Maybe next trimester, take it serious. Start processing through this with other people because it's impossible to grow if we're not. Number three is this. Uh, move out of your comfort zone. Duh! Right? It's like, already I'm like, you know, through this series, I'm like, I feel like I'm just being pushed. Because there's a temptation to put off an image on Sundays to be somebody I'm not and convince everybody to believe in it. I just refuse. I refuse. I'm nothing special. But I've been given an assignment that I feel called to steward and to take as seriously as I possibly have the capacity to do as the pastor of this church, which I'm committed to. But I'll say this. I ain't nothing special. Being okay with who we are and communicating that to others. Got to be okay with that. Got to be okay with that I'm angry fast food guy every now and then. Got to be okay with the fact that as a dad I fall short at times. And I have to apologize to my child, children, and wife. See, being our true self, let's think about this, this equation for a second. Finding and being your true self plus... Having a lovely, loving union with God, you know what I believe that's a recipe for? The world being changed. The world being flipped upside down. The world not being filled with a bunch of people wearing masks, being like, yay, God is so good. We're just going to keep saying cliches, and the world's going to magically transform. Nope. In fact, people are sick of that. So what would it look like to go deep with people? What would it look like to model for our own lives what emotional health would look like in fullness, redeemed under God, in community with other people, with a lovely, loving union connected with God, being released out into our city and our community to see it transformed for the purposes of God. Whew. Come on, somebody. The potential of what God wants to unleash. Sometimes it's just looking at us right in the mirror. 
Lastly is this. This all needs to be wrapped up in a ton of prayer. We need to pray for courage. We need to pray for courage. Because here's the deal. I get it. I understand toxic people. If you have toxic people in your life that you rub shoulders with, and you're going to start walking along this journey towards healing and wholeness with your emotional health, there's going to be people in your life that you didn't know this, but they're going to say, wait a second, change back. I like the mask. I like the untrue self because I'm toxic and I'm allergic to health. I know it's like, well, we're supposed to love people, Pastor. We got to... Sometimes we got to categorize things for what they are because unhealthy people will pull you and once again, with no boundaries, you will be effective to no one. Your impact will be silenced. We got to take care of ourselves. Do you have boundaries around your true self? It's going to take courage. It's going to take a supernatural amount of strength. People with no boundaries will never understand a person who has them. Let me say this again. People with no boundaries will never understand a person who has them, and you need courage to be okay with that. Processes such as this make you many times lose friends because when you really spin it and look at it in hindsight, you realize maybe those people weren't actually my friends in the first place who were there to encourage me and push me to become who God has called me to be. I love when the Bible says this, and it's wisdom. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not spoil the goodness of God and the image of God you are created in by surrounding yourself with fools and with toxic people. Church, we need one another. Let me say this again. We need one another. Drop the facade of one hour a week faith. This is kingdom of God, bigger, eternal perspective type of stuff we're talking about that cannot be solved through a political system that cannot be solved through the greatest nonprofit that you could come up with. But we are a collective of broken people called under a mission. His name is Jesus. And he's called us to find freedom so that we can be the bearers of that freedom and that good news for everyone we come across. But we got to take care of us first. We got we to gotta get with God and allow him to do some personal healing before we believe we can be effective in those depths and those places with anybody else. So as we've been in this series, I want to end with that fourth one in mind. Let's pray for courage. Because you're like, well, what? You're making a big deal about us. I'm telling you, it, it, this battle feels and this journey feels very internal for each and every one of us over this next week. But where there's people, there's going to be temptation to not be courageous anymore. Would we own it? Would we be courageous? Would we be willing to be as vulnerable before God to say, ooh, <laughs> never really thought about this too much in some of the areas of my life that maybe need to be redeemed. And what would happen? That recipe of us finding our true self partnered with a deep connection of God's love being spread out into the world, spread out into our community to be change agents where our world and our community looks more and more like heaven. It starts with us first. So can we pray as we conclude this morning?